0: In today's episode, we're going to be meeting Stu Heinig, and he has the why of better way, and he's going to share with us some better ways that people have used over the years to get in touch with anyone. So if there's somebody that you want to meet and you're not sure how to do it, you're going to love this episode. And then he's going to take that and show you how he transitioned into helping businesses grow like a weed. He uses this weed Strategy or this weed thinking of how weeds can grow anywhere and overcome almost anything and how you can take that and apply it to your business. You're going to love this episode. Welcome to Beyond Your Why podcast, where we go beyond just talking about your why and actually help you discover and then live your why. You see, we believe that knowing your why, that driving force behind every decision you make and every action you take is the essential first step to really knowing yourself. It allows you to move forward faster and have a bigger impact. If you're already a fan of the show, then you know that every week, we talk about one of the nine whys and then we introduce you to somebody with that why so you can see how their why has played out in their life. This show will be more powerful for you if you've already discovered your why. If you still need to do that, Head over to whyinstitute.com and discover your why today. It'll only take you about five minutes. Now, let's meet today's guest. This week, we're going to be talking about the why of better way, to find a better way and share it. So if this is your why, then you are the ultimate innovator, and you are constantly seeking better ways to do everything. You find yourself wanting to improve virtually anything, by finding a way to make it better, you also desire to share your improvement with the world. You constantly ask yourself questions like, What if we tried this differently? What if we did this another way? How can we make this better? You contribute to the world with better processes and systems while operating under the motto, I'm often pleased, but never satisfied. You are excellent at associating, which means that you are adept at taking ideas from one uh, industry and applying them to another, always. With the ultimate goal of improving something. So today I have a great guest for you. His name is Stu Heineke, and he started his career combining marketing with a one in a million mentorship with top cartoonists from Playboy and The New Yorker, resulting in a new genre of direct mail and hundreds of record-breaking campaigns from some of the world's biggest direct marketers. A twice-nominated Hall of Fame marketer, best-selling business author and Wall Street Journal cartoonist, Stu's first book, How to Get a Meeting with Anyone, was named one of the top 64 sales books of all time. His latest release, How to Grow Your Business Like a Weed, lays out a complete model for explosive business growth based on the strategies, attributes, and tools weeds use to grow, expand, dominate, and defend their turf. The Total Weed Award from Stu's book, is a new collaboration with the Nasdaq Entrepreneurial Center and a major business news outlet to recognize weed-like growth among entrepreneurs, startups, and investors. Stu has collaborated with several of the world's top management, ideation, sale, branding, and publishing experts to produce a series of small group, high-dollar strategy sessions in bucket list locations, including Dubai, Salzburg, Sedona, Morocco, Iceland, Bora Bora and Sedona welcome to the podcast Stu thank you <laughs> That's thank great, to, great that to join is... you Gary <laughs> this is gonna be fun yeah so from one better way guy to another better way guy um take us back in your life where were you born Stu
1: I was born in um in Los Angeles and then right. grew up in uh, in, Mass- in Massachusetts in Massachusetts so what were you
0: like in high school? Take us back to that time in your life. What were you like as a high schooler?
1: You know, I was kind of a shy kid. Um, I think, you know, one thing, I did have a, the sense that nobody actually knew me, nobody actually understood me, and and um, and that I was, this was not my peak at all. <laughs> it was, you know, I was just, just gearing up, just spooling up. Um, because you know some people do peak in high school i think but anyway it was nothing like that and um uh you know but when i look back on it i was a pretty immature kid too so mm-hmm. i don't know that i would put much credence in all those all those thoughts that i had back then what kinds of things were you into um sports a lot of sports I mean, hockey uh we, we, the, the town the place where i grew up the house the property, the, the grounds, and so forth. We, there, we had a big, like a nine acre lake behind us that froze every year. So we played hockey on it, and when it wasn't frozen, we'd be, I don't know, chasing after the after the uh, snapping turtles and just all kinds of adventure. Actually, it was an amazing place to grow up. Um, and um, yes, I, I loved loved playing sports. Loved that skiing. I was a ski instructor as a as a high schooler and. All the, all those kinds of things. So it was it was a fun, um, fun place to grow up, gr- fun time to grow up. And so when you
0: graduated from high school off to college, right? Where did you go to college? I went to USC. Ah. I knew I liked you.
1: Did are am I talking to a Trojan? Yes, you were. Oh, gosh. No, that's great. I had no idea. Well, what a cool place to go to school, right? You know, you know exactly what that's like. That was a, so. When were you at USC? Um, I, so I w- was there from '73 to '77. Ah, and so who was the football star at that time? Oh my God, let's see: um, Charlie White, um, yeah. Marcus Allen, um, a, a guy that I was an RA for, uh, Lynn Lynn Kane. Was 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 a, a full back, running back, um oh my gosh. I haven't thought of these names in a long well, other than Lynn. I'm in touch with Lynn, but I I haven't thought of these names for a long time. But does that define the era? Ricky Bell also, Ricky was Ricky was my age. So Ricky was he was incredible. Uh mm-hmm. Yeah. Think about USC and I think you must have seen it as well, is that what an incredible environment to step into and and I mean that because, uh, the, you know, the, your peers, they're so, a lot of them are so accomplished already. And so uh, I think back when I was there, um, they they were saying that you, if USC were a country, it would rank 14th in the number of Olympic medals won. And so John Neighbor was there, the, the swimmer, and he was an RA at the same time. I, I don't know, but but he was an RA at the same time I was. And um, just, they were just incredible. I mean, Braun uh, Howard was there. Hmm. Uh, He's just. I mean, I got to talk to him once. And just, Ron, what are you doing here? I mean, why do you need to be here? And he <laughs> told me he he was going to be a, a film mogul one day, and he he did it. So it was just an it's what an incredible atmosphere to to step into. Just incredible. I thought it was just. I mean, it was what an, just an accelerant of mindset and just of your life. It was incredible. I thought. And so, what did you go into? What was your major during that
0: time? Um, marketing. In marketing, perfect place to do it. And um, graduated, and then got into what kind of marketing did you start doing?
1: So my first my first job out of college was as a as a a, um, manager of marketing for a steel distributor in Carson, California. And that doesn't sound like it. It's not terribly glamorous, um, but it was interesting because. At the same time, I was also very, very interested in, I've been interested in cartooning um, since as long, as long as I can remember, really. But but so by then, I was also a published cartoonist in L.A., so I was getting published in the L.A. papers a little bit, and uh, and I was a member of the Cartoonist Guild, and that changed a lot because uh, what they sent me one article didn't just send it to me, they sent it to all the members, but they sent us one article from Folio Magazine, and that's the magazine for magazine for, for people who produce magazines. I don't know if it's still around, actually, but anyway, they sent us one article that talked about cartoons, how they were showing up in readership surveys, editorial readership surveys, as the best read and remembered parts of of magazines and newspapers. Um, in, in the case of newspapers, they were better read than the front page, which is... Interesting, um, so I was I was thinking, God, my gosh, I've got to combine the two. I, I think cartooning would be a uh, would be a great device in marketing, and um, and that was an interesting bumpy ride. All of it was all of it's been bumpy. Why wouldn't it be bumpy? I mean, that's life. Okay. But it was an interesting bumpy ride. So, why cartooning?
0: What interested you in cartooning? And when did you start? When did you draw your first cartoon?
1: And um, and why did you get it? I don't know when I drew my first cartoon, but I know why I got into it. Um, it's uh, my father. Okay, so my brothers and I used. To, I was about ten years old uh, at the time, and my brothers and I discovered that my father had Playboys in his dresser drawers, and so we would sneak them out and look at them. And um, of course, we read the articles. You know, that <laughs> was always the joke about Playboy. But anyway, but yeah, um, you know. The Playboy actually was an amazing um, cultural phenomenon back then, and, and so um, of course they had the pictures, and they they led a, a they had a they had an interesting place in the sexual revolution, I suppose. But but they were also just excellent, uh, just excellent from a from a journalistic standpoint, and that certainly carried through with the with the cartoonists, and so. Jahan um, yeah, Wilson and Eldon Dadini and all, I I was so I was looking at the cartoons and I'm just saying, who does these? How do they do this? If, that's incredible. I was looking at some of the best some of the work of some of the best cartoonists in the world. So it, it should be amazing and, and it was. Um, and then later in life, um, I I'm skipping ahead quite a bit, but later in life they became my my mentors, but they became part of like my, my marketing group. And and so, uh, so that, was, that was amazing. It was that though. I was just looking at, how the, at the the uh, just just the uh, just they it, it was just, it was just so audacious. It was so well done, mm-hmm. and and just it was just absolute perfection to look at how they how they produced the um, the drawings. And of course, it's not just drawing. It's just drawing is actually almost a minor part I shouldn't say it's a minor part but it but it's not it's writing that is the major part of it if you don't if you you have to write a gag and if the gag isn't funny then then the drawing's not going to help so that's what I was about to ask you what
0: makes what's the difference you know for for those of us that are that's not our thing even though we do read them and, and see them what separates a good from a
1: great cartoon or cartoonist well I it's really just about she, this this will be true for all forms of humor. I think humor is about truth revealed in a twist. And so I, that's why when we find something funny, we're laughing. Before we can catch our breath, we're saying, oh my God, that's so true. It is like that. Or I know someone like that. I've been through something like that. Um, I just put some cartoons away. But I have one of, of this guy and he's on the phone. He's cradling the phone on his shoulder and he's looking through some papers on his desk. And he's saying, hey, listen, we got your proposal and we like everything except having to pay you. I'm thinking that is the problem with every proposal, isn't it? (laughs) That they have to pay us. And so that's we laugh because there's something true about it. And why do you think that cartoons
0: are so. You know, like like you said, they're so well read. So people remember people send each other cartoons probably much more than they send each other an
1: article. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, because it's it. I don't know that they actually are aware that it's delivering a message. I mean, you could see the caption, but but I mean an 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 underlying message and a deep message. I mean, it's, but it's the reason why it's funny. So if they find it funny, they're agreeing with it and they want to they want to share it. That's actually what's happening. Now that's the really dry a dry understanding or, or level of it. But because because on the surface level, it's just funny and it's fun. When you, if you, if you see a cartoon, um, the New Yorkers have gotten pretty political, I would say lately. So they're not as funny, but, but when they're funny, when they're just actually just about life and about what's true in life, then um, what's funny is that I, they, I, I don't know. There, there's, there's something also very mysterious about it because why would we laugh because it's true? Because you could also say, well, that's true, right? So. I, it does appeal to something deep inside that that I, I couldn't quite quantify or explain. But um, when it hits us in a way that's just that just tickles us, then you know somehow surprise, presented in a surprising way, that's our reaction, and it's a very very powerful reaction. I mean, we know that we know that that laughter is healthy for us, and that it 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 it, it relieves stress. It's it's actually an amazing an, an amazing thing in our lives. Um, and I suppose it's more mysterious than I than I realized when I started explaining what it is, because ultimately though the effect is that it's 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 expressing uh, something that we find true, and that's why we want to that's why we want to share it. I think it's also why we want to read it. It's I mean it's a simple thing to to read, and suddenly oh that's funny, and I'm going to share it with someone. Yeah, it's kind of like the ROI is is
0: um, so high in cartoons because it takes very little time. To read them, you don't have to read, you know, five paragraphs on it. You just read a few words. I mean, is there how many words are there typically in a cartoon? Probably not
1: well, a lot. Totally that'll not too many, um, and yeah, it's a simple. It's it's just this pure idea that gets that gets expressed very very quickly. I mean, I have one that sometimes it's just a sight gag, and so I have one of a of some people walking down the street in the. I mean, walking down the sidewalk in New York. And there's a little sandwich sign out on the sidewalk, and the sandwich sign is saying, and they have to they have to sort of bend, let, they're having having to avoid the sign, and the sign just says, "Please excuse our sign, thank you," <laughs> but you could have just taken it out. <laughs> yeah, I, You could you could apologize, or you could just leave, remove the sign from the sidewalk. Uh, but I, there's I, just all these little funny things that just you think, oh my god, you know, I've had another one sight gag of a, these two sort of. Um, well, I'm sort of a grandmotherly woman, and then another one that's older, but not quite a grandma, and so the grandmotherly woman is is demurely knitting, and it's not until you follow the, the line down, <laughs> the yarn line down, to realize what she's really doing is taking a thread from the other woman's coat and just completely unraveling it, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I guess, can you know, I I guess sometimes, I'm not sure what the message is, but I guess it's just sort of a... There's mischief in all of us. I don't know something like that, but you look at it. It just it gives you a good feeling. It's just funny to fun to do, and fun to see, fun to take it in. So take us through
0: how you create, develop, think up, think of
1: a cartoon. Man, sometimes the, I don't, I don't, I don't have a formula for it. So they they just come, and um, sometimes it's when you're when you're sort of half asleep that's a problem because you better write it down or you're going to lose it but um which t- I think you know I've listened to some song- songwriters talk about where songs come from and I think it comes from the same sort of thing sometimes it's a very quick thing sometimes it takes a long long time the the one that I just told you about with the guy's going through papers and he's really is looking through your proposal um that one came from one of my clients who I mean, we did we tested something and he said it worked but we don't really want to pay for it I thought, well, that's really interesting. I've done everything you asked, and you don't want to why am i why did I do it? I mean what is what's that about? So so that's where that one came from. It just came from uh, you know, it's just a, a circumstance that came up in in life and and it converted into a cartoon very easily. so it that, that just sort of runs the gamut. I would, say, you know i just I just was watching a. An interview of Paul Simon, and he was talking about where "The Bridge Over Troubled Water" came from, and what a beautiful one of the one of the prettiest pop songs I think ever produced. And and he said it just popped into his head, and uh, it just it just he didn't even know where it came from. And and it's I'm just saying that's exactly where cartoons come from too. Yeah, I think it's the same thing, and you know probably the same thing as well is that just that songs probably are uh, if you think about it. Songs often express truth as well. It's it's interesting, Stu, because, uh, and
0: for those of you that are listening that are familiar with the YOS, your why, how, and what, Stu's why is to find a better way and share it, right? How he does that is by challenging the status quo, thinking differently, thinking outside the box. And ultimately, what he brings is a trusting relationship where others can count on him. And that sounds like that's the essence of what cartooning is. It's a better well, way to connect by doing it differently and becoming that trusted voice, that trusted source.
1: Yes, that that is true. It's it's a source of it, of of um of insight. If you, or you become a source of in, insight, if people become um, used to aware of and then used to reading your cartoons and they look forward to them, we know what's happening. With you're your develop you're you're imparting something that that is um, is describing some element of truth and. And so you're helping people understand it better, but that that changed later in life. So cartooning is still it's still a, it's sort of a big part of my life, but it's not the it's not the primary driver anymore. I mean, it, it's really writing books. The two books that um, that you're aware of: uh, how to get a meeting with anyone, and 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 um, how to grow your business like a weed. And I think about I they don't sound like serious. If I wasn't if I wasn't the author of them, they might not sound like very serious books, you know. Yeah, but I was I think it's probably the they're probably the probably books that only a cartoonist might write. I don't know. Well, then let's keep going. So yeah,
0: when you graduated uh, and you got into um, working for the steel company, um, doing their marketing, how long were you there and what was that
1: like? And kind of keep us going forward. Well, what happened I'm, after that? I was there for a couple of years. And the significant part for me was that I inherited this weekly um, direct mail campaign. So all this thing was was this large sheet of paper with all these different sizes of and different types of of steel um, spelled out with their pricing. That's it. That was it's just a big price list. Um, but I thought, you know what? This is interesting because this thing goes out to the entire uh, the entire client base and and prospect base for the company. Uh, this is a place to create a lot of of visibility for what I'm doing and. So then, I, I convinced them. I said, "You know, I want to put a cartoon in this each time. I want to I want to create a little bit of fandom for the for the people, because otherwise it's rather dry." And um, I said, "Okay, let's give it a try." And we didn't really have any way of measuring response, but but we were hearing great great reactions from the from the people that were on the list. So we kept doing it. That was great. And that and of course um, the fact that I inserted my cartoons into that. Um, gave me a lot more visibility within the company. Very, I mean, instantly. So it was kind of an unfair advantage. And unfair advantages are going to come up a lot in our conversation. But it's one of it's sort of my first discovery of my one of my unfair advantages was cartooning gives you a you know you you can reach a lot of people and can give give you a whole lot of visibility. Suddenly you show up to everyone; they know who you are. Mm. Okay, so you
0: were with that. Uh, the steel company for a couple yeah. of years. What happened after that?
1: Laid off. And um, so the next thing I discovered was I, I went to the competitor and said, this is what I've been doing for, I'm sure you're aware of it, but this is what I've been doing for this one company. Um, and but the, and, and I'd like to do it for you. But this, this time I didn't walk in asking for a job. I walked in uh, with, with a business card and I was the president of my own agency. All you have to do is make the card up. <laughs> And there you are. Yes. So, um, I um, I walked in and told them that, and they said, "Yep, you're hired. That's great." And in fact, started making. Oh God, uh, FedEx has just shown up, so the dog is going to talk to us. But, um, but uh, um, that uh, that was a revelation because I I, I was making a lot more than I was very quickly from from consulting and, and, and doing running agency work than than uh, when I was there as an somewhere else doing the same job as an employee. Okay. And uh, so you were an agency for the
0: competitor. And how long right. did that happen? And then did you just start adding more uh, companies well, and
1: more people? Well, so I started with that one steel company, but I wasn't very excited about steel. And so my next clients actually, because I thought, I, I want to find out how far this can go and what who else can I work with? And I really, I knew that I wanted to work with the magazine industry because they were, they were the world's biggest users of direct marketing at the time. And so, um, so I reached out to Bon Appetit and to Rolling Stone and I told them, I said, you know, I think we should put this to the test um, because it, because look, people read, they love cartoons. They're, they're, I mean, this is going to make the cart, the, the direct mail piece stand out in the pile of mail that everyone's getting and we know what what happens is from the editorial readers, readership surveys we know that they're going to be the best read and best remembered part of the of that stack of mail at least that day but maybe it'll draw them further into the piece and we can do some things we can offer a print of the cartoon through, because the cartoons were were personal I was also using personalization so each on each mailing the, the cartoons were about each recipient and um so that those so that was my next two clients actually so it was the steel company, the steel, the local steel distributor, and then Bonapetita and Rolling Stone. And both of those test campaigns that I produced for them beat their controls. It, what it, what it means is, I mean, in statistics we test against a control group, and so in direct marketing the control group or the control is the most effective thing they'd put in the mail, and I beat it. Um, first two first two mailings out, those personalized cartoons beat the. Beat the controls. It was like a, a a rookie walking onto the major league baseball field and hitting two grand slam runs, right up right away, and and that opened the door to everything else that happened. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I don't want to do a run on answer. So I'm sorry. I, I won't go any oh, that, further. That's great. But, but I mean, it's just what it did was just open. So what I I did that, set those two records, and. Um, and then I, I thought, okay, this is my opportunity to reach out to the rest of the publishing industry. And so I put together a little campaign, didn't know what to call it, so I called it a contact campaign. Um, and it consisted of a little eight by 10 print of a cartoon, each personalized, to each recipient, and then a note. And this went out to, I was just trying to break through to the to the publishing industry. So there's not a lot of published big magazine publishers. So um, I, I needed to reach the the either the directors of circulation or... The um, or the, the directors of consumer marketing um, at Condé Nast and Time Inc. and um, I mean they're all names that are familiar. I think they're still familiar to us, but um, uh, Wall Street Journal and uh, Forbes and so on. And I needed to reach out to these people. They're at the director level. They weren't going to be very easy to reach. Okay, fine, that's fine. But put together that little campaign, and um, I'm curious. I just want to play this game with you a little. What do you think I got as a response rate? Any, uh, any guesses? Eighty-five. Well, now keep in mind that that in direct response, they were saying that if you get a one percent response yeah. rate, you're doing <laughs> great, right? I mean, oh, um, but you are close. I hundred I, percent. All of them. All of them responded. All of them agreed to meet. All of them became clients. It was worth millions of dollars to me, and it came from a campaign that I spent about a hundred dollars on. That was my first. Contact patch with or my first exposure to using contact marketing. Um, that's my term for it, and it, it comes out of out of my my book, How to Grow Your Business. Like, sorry, how to how to get a meeting with anyone. But that was my first my first experience with it. Was a hundred percent everything: meeting rate, uh, conversion rate, and, and response rate. Um, and it's funny because I couldn't talk about it. Everyone was saying 1% response rates are what you should expect, in direct response, and 100% response rates are absolutely impossible. So I thought, okay, I can't talk about this at all. No one's going to believe you. <laughs> it's like, oh, how did you... And meet? I see that you also, uh, you've been abducted by UFOs as well, right? Yeah. yeah. So how did you meet the demand then?
0: Um, the demand for for your work cuz now you had 100% response rate 100% of these companies wanting to work with you Were you would you be able to oh I guess you would
1: use would you use the same cartoon in each uh no 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 they I know they'd be um different cartoons and um I, I mean the the thing was there was a season to their to to their testing and so it was they they do it twice a year and so twice a year I'd go to New York and Meet with wow. all the, all the, these new um, these new contacts, and some would buy, and some would some weren't ready to to create tests, so they'd be paying me for to create new test campaigns, and and you asked about the cartoons. Actually, you know, I'm 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 the cartoonist, but I'm also saying, you know, look, I want, really want to bring the best. This really does come out of that that why yeah. uh, OS thing, because I really wanted to bring the very very best product I could to my my clients and so i started reaching out to some of the cartoonists that were my heroes of cartooning so i mentioned gahan wilson and eldon Dedini, I, I i knew eldon from before i also knew leo cullum from before one of the new yorker cartoonists and so i started getting introduced and so so um gahan wilson became part of the group and eldon Dedini, those both, both from playboy and then leo cullum and um, bob Mankoff, and arnie levin and all these all these amazing cartoonists became part of my group and then, as I was going around showing the uh, the clients, okay, so I'm saying, look, this is what we can do, and and I now I have a, a stable of cartoonists, and here's a here's a little booklet that shows this, you'll recognize their work, but you won't know their names. So here's this is what Eldon's looks like. This is what Gay and Wilson's looks like, um, and so I was selling a lot of well, a lot of um, assignments for the cartoonists that way. Um, and I was still writing the copy and producing. I was creating the whole thing, other than uh, um, pulling in the cartoonists. Well, or, and a lot of times my cartoons were were chosen. The, the clients wanted mine, which amazed me. But um, <laughs> so um, that is why I ended up. Here's the, the the really amazing thing about all that was that I started then hanging out with my you know my heroes of cartooning. Because when I went to New a lot of them were in New York, and um, I lived in L.A. at the time, so uh, a few lived in L.A., but most were in New York. And so when I went to New York, I'd hang out with them, and I'd work with them on assignments. And so I was that was their creative director in the, on the assignment. So I had a lot of exposure to the cartoonists, and what I realized later is that and nobody realized this. Nobody knew this was happening, but I ended up being mentored by the best cartoonist in the world. That's really what happened. That was the net, net, net of it all.
0: Wow, and then um, when did you write? How did that lead to getting a meeting with
1: anybody? Well, so when I sent that little contact campaign to the to the twenty four, the two dozen people in the marketing, I'm sorry, in the in the publishing industry, I just thought, well, that that was weird because I had never done it before. <laughs> so all of a sudden, oof, a hundred percent response rate at every level. That was interesting, and so. Well, okay, that's really cool. Who else? How far can I take this? So I started sending, pre- I started sending cartoons to and personalized cartoons to presidents and prime ministers and celebrities and lots of top decision makers, and um, and I was getting through to them. <laughs> so, okay, cool. I have a secret weapon: these personalized cartoons. They're incredible devices here. So, um, then then I I started hearing stories about what other people were doing to get meetings, and you know. This is just this is a long tradition. People have been doing a lot of things to get really interesting things to reach out to people they don't know, and get meetings with them. and And so, what I discovered was that there's this whole shadow form of marketing out there. Um, and and I, I the more I was ex- exposed to it, the more I thought I got to write a book about this. That this this just ha- I don't I haven't heard of these these stories anywhere. So I've got to write this. Th- I mean, I've got to get this out there. And and so that is where um, that, that's where how to get a meeting with anyone came from. That was the genesis of it. And as I re- researched more and more of these stories, it's just it's amazing what people are doing to get to, to get meetings. They're very very clever, audacious things. Um, and you know, I've always asked, do you have to be a cartoonist to to use contact marketing? No, you don't at all. You can use. There are all kinds of really interesting ways of going about getting meetings. Um, and that's such we could do hours on that subject. Mm. Um, I don't know that you want to do that, but, but we <laughs> yeah. could really, we could literally do hours. I'll just say that the the highest response rate that I know of from a from a contact marketing campaign is somewhere be- between three and four hundred percent. Wow, it's an odd number because how you know you send a, a, a campaign to a certain audience. And if all of them respond, that's 100% response rate. So how on earth can you get more than 100%? And the and the fact was that the device was so compelling that um, the the recipient was showing it around, and the people who saw it said, "Wait, I've got to I got to contact this person too." So so it's getting three or four times what the number of uh, the number of people that he reached out to uh, as response. So now here come. So you, call, you called it you called it something shadow marketing or no contact marketing. Contact marketing. Okay. Yeah. And why do you call it that? Um because we're using it to get in contact with people. Ah, uh, okay. Connections with people, yeah. So and then and so the the um the other one, this number is gonna just really blow your mind. The highest ROI that I, I've found among these stories. Is um, is ninety six million five hundred thousand percent ROI, and so what? The, what that means what, is that a is that a bizarre number, or what? I mean, how could I you even wrap your head around a number? Yeah. Because it's a percent, so how could, or a percentage. So, how could you wrap your head around it? There was a there was a um, startup. They 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 had produced this, or they, the the uh, the founder had invented a tongue scraper device. And uh, and they were selling it for they'd been selling it for about a year through YouTube videos. So they had this very young group of people from Brigham Young Un- University producing videos and just having fun with it, but producing videos that were on on YouTube to sell this tongue cleaner. So they were they had that first year of, of operation. They sold about a million dollars worth of tongue scrapers, and um, and I was interviewing the, the former CEO for this for the story for the for the book. So. Um, so uh um then they decided well you know what's next? Well why don't we we ought to break into into Walmart that would be incredible to, to be featured I mean just to be sold throughout their network. so they applied like everyone else does and nothing happened because of course you know it's such a you know we need to, we need to avoid crowded channels. It's a great uh that's a great piece of advice. <laughs> avoid crowded channels so um so the young guys got frustrated at one point and they decided let's run an ad in Facebook. We'll make up our own ad. They used the spokesperson um, from the from the videos, and uh, so someone who held a big giant tongue scraper, and, um, and it was said Walmart employees have bad breath. Um, and then, but if you that was the headline. But if you if you carry our product, it's, it's nope. I don't know what it was. I forgot what the rest of the ad said, but it was basically if you if you carry our product in your stores, you won't. And it was targeted to the Bentonville, Arkansas, just specifically to the zip code of their Bentonville, Arkansas uh, headquarters and then you know also education levels and age age range, ranges basically they were trying to reach the right buyer at Walmart and uh within 48 hours they got they, they were contacted by Walmart but it was their legal department and, and the legal <laughs> department said are you the people behind this this ad they said yeah would you please take it down well, of course we'll take it down of course but and they're saying did you run this thing nationally no 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 we targeted it directly to your I think the only people who saw it were your your employees. So we targeted it by zip code and, and education and age. Wow, you got you're really rather good uh, digital marketers, aren't you? Well, that that conversation um, led to them or led to to them to being introduced to the buyer of dental products, and that introductory call led to a uh, to a um, about a two million dollar order, and and then. And I was asking, I asked the, the, the CEO. Okay, so before that phone call, you were not in, you were not featured in in Walmart. And after that phone call, you were you were destined to be rolled out throughout. This, I think it's sixty six hundred stores in their in their network. What did that do to your valuation? And he said, I think it was ten x. And I think our because our our earnings were one million dollars the first year. If we just do a two x multiplier on that, then we went from a two million dollar a year. Comp- or a two million dollar company to a twenty million dollar company. So that was it was all of that, all that twenty million dollars and the two million dollar uh, um order came from a twenty-eight dollar ad. Wow. And that's that is the, crazy. that's the nature of contact marketing contact marketing is amazing.
0: Yeah. I, because when you were saying contact marketing, I was thinking about the um more like a CRM type thing versus what you're talking about is getting in contact with the right
1: person. Yes. Um can I show you something? Can I just hold something yeah. up? So yes. I mentioned using cartoons and, and I use that this is what I use for, for clients now. So this is a big board. I have to go way back and it's it's, so it's 18 by 24 inches, quarter inch thick foam core board. And and on the front is a cartoon. This is one of mine. Um I have to personalize it if I tell you the caption. So I sent one of these to Mark Cuban. And, and um and and so um, of course, Mark is the owner of the Mavericks. So yes. this woman is telling her friend, "Mark. Mark Cuban says you can tell a lot about a person just by looking at their Mavs tickets." I tend to agree. Of course, Mark does as well. And so, and, and there's a message on the back explaining who, who's, who, uh, whoever the sender is, is explaining who they are, why they want to meet, the next steps. But that that big board ended up it's framed and it's up on Mark's wall in his office. So that's the kind of effect that it has, and um and when you send something like that when you, when you have that kind of an effect when they're, when they're saying who is this they're I mean, like i got to meet this person I, I know i need to know who this is and and i love the way you think and, and so on. when all that is happening then you you're connecting but you're also connecting many many steps ahead of just connecting if you were i don't know if you just broke through on the phone they already like you they already they're they're already impressed with how you think and and they want to know how how to just okay what do you want to do let's let's talk so that's that's sort of the net um the net effect of of contact marketing I would say also though I I mentioned unfair advantage earlier um that cartooning turned out to be an unfair advantage for me I I can I can show up to I could when I do that if, if I use a cartoon and a, and and let's say I maybe the cartoon is I have a high school reunion coming up so my cartoons are sort of, they're in the cartoon they're in the, the communication and and so it's going to be. I'm not shy anymore. But if I had been, um, then you know I'd be going up to people and I, I don't know if I remember you Stu, but they'll remember me. Everyone will remember me because I'm the cartoonist. <laughs> I'm the guy behind the cartoons that were that were part of the invitations. That's always been an unfair advantage. Well, another one is is the ability to be able to get a meeting with virtually anyone. That's an incredible unfair advantage. And and you'll see that I I I don't know if you had a chance to yet to read. Um, my latest book about well how to grow your business like a weed, but one of the things the few things that weeds do um that are that make them so special, and one of them is that they never do anything without an unfair advantage. so they they're constantly cultivating unfair advantages. And I should say they've also you know they've been evolving over tens of millions of years. They've evolved some really great unfair advantages. All you have to do is look at a dandelion and watch the seeds blow away. And realize that that plant is spreading in sort of uh, in geometric progression, as compared to let's say a, a I don't know an ac- an acorn falling or acorns falling from an oak tree. They just fall right at their roots. They don't go anywhere. So I mean, squirrels may take them somewhere, but but those those seeds that fly uh, and some some weed seeds can fly hundreds of miles. So their their they, their spread is just incredibly rapid and and that's an unfair advantage. It's one of their unfair advantages. Anyway, so those show up a lot in in weed strategy as well. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. So, how
0: did you get into So, the second book I've got it here on the screen is How to Grow Your Business Like a Weed. Where did that come from? Um,
1: I was driving down the freeway in LA one day and um and I noticed this I noticed a dandelion going from a crack in the concrete median. And 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 I could have driven by because that you know, we we see this everywhere. They they just inhabit cracks in concrete everywhere. Anyway, but it just I noticed it and it looked like it was bouncing around. It looked happy and those happy yellow flowers and those seed the seed pods of geodesic seed pods and the seeds are flying around and it just looked happy running its process. And I thought, well, that's that's incredible. This all happened in just a split second, but that that's incredible because. And if you think about it, I mean you might wonder, well, how on earth did a this is no place for a plant to take root. So how did it get there? Well, we know how it get there because we see the seeds blowing around all the time. That's exactly how they probe every possible opportunity to take root, which is already sounding like the ultimate entrepreneur, isn't it? So mm-hmm. um and, and but then also it just, you know, um it didn't look let's say it didn't look depressed i don't know if a, if a plant would look depressed I and mean, it wasn't drooping or something it didn't look it looked happy to be doing its running its process wherever it landed and and i just thought what is it about weeds that makes them so special so adept to, at at um we know what the, i mean we all know what it means to grow like a weed so what is it about weeds that makes them so adept at doing that and 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 i was wondering you know do they have a model that they all use is there something is there some sort of unified String or, or consciousness here something. There's some sort of theory that's running through this that that they all use, and it turns out there is, there is, and I think it's actually the theory of everything about growing anything. So that that's that was that that drive down the Santa Monica freeway many years ago. And I just first, you know, what the thing was, I resolved. I thought, okay, I want to be like that weed. I, you know, I know that I have been traveling around a bit. I mean I had been to to England where. Uh, where the economy was was really much tighter, and people, I noticed that people held on, they, they they just really held on to their jobs for life, and that wasn't happening in in the states so much. Um, but and then there's some companies. I remember Saatchi and Saatchi, big a big ad agency, popping up out of nowhere, and and the, the Saatchi brothers were became millionaires because of it. So how did they do that? How they pull that off? They're a weed. And so how did they pull that off? And and anyway, just it. I wanted to study it. Wanted to figure that out. What is it that weeds are doing? What makes them so special, so adept, so well equipped to growth? Um, what are they doing that we can do? And it turns out there's a lot.
0: Hmm. What's if you could give us one thing that a weed does that would we could copy that makes would make the biggest difference in our own business?
1: What would that be? Well, first, let me just describe real quickly the nature of weeds. Um, weeds weeds deal with what is, and that sounds so simple, but they have they have a mindset. They have an apparent mindset, let's say. There's some sort of collective intelligence about them, and they don't give up. We know we know exactly what it is because we see it in our yards. They don't give up. they don't show up alone. they don't then if you cut them down, they're going to co- go right back. they go right back to their process and keep running it and um they're absolutely resilient and and adaptive and aggressive and urgent um and i would say even optimistic because when we're optimistic we act in certain ways we're we're more much more um focused and ready to, to accomplish what we need to accomplish we're excited about it so i would say even optimistic even though they don't have brains so that's the first thing they're they're they deal with what is and the next thing is that they never do anything without an unfair advantage. We've talked a little bit about that. They never do anything alone. They're 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 one of nature's great collaborators. You'd ever see a dandelion. like if you see a dandelion in your lawn, um, it, look up and you'll see at least dozens more, if not hundreds more. They never show up alone. If they showed up alone, they wouldn't be a factor. But when they when they're there in that kind of volume or that kind of scale, you're never going to get rid of them. I mean, they're each producing about fifteen thousand seeds. Per plant uh, over their five to ten year life span, you're not going to get rid of them, and, and so that's that's one. They always focus on what makes them win, which is really really uh, alludes to to process. They've got ironclad process that an ironclad process that's been built over millions of years, and also is is adaptable to to challenges very very quickly. And I think finally finally they um, they thrive best in disrupted ground. Um, disrupted ground is our farmland, and and I mean, we're the ones that disrupt the ground mostly, but if there's a forest fire, whatever it is, um, they they're the ones that move in first. They thrive in that. They're not doing anything differently than they usually do, but they're just so adapted to, so well, so well evolved into that that challenge. They they're the ones that show up first and and colonize it first. So that's the nature of weeds. Um, I think you and you were asking me. I, I I I think you were asking me what's the most important thing they do, or the most important thing that that you we give, could give you. if
0: you could yeah, give us one thing that we'd do, or the most valuable thing that we could take away uh, for our own businesses to be more, to grow our business like a
1: weed. What would that be? Well, I think my favorite part of it is that is that they're just radical collaborators, and and I think if they could talk to us, they would tell us. If you want to grow your business you need to team up with the smartest people you know as fast as you can that takes a lot of forms and in fact I would say that all the people in your network the reason they're in there in your network in the yOS network all those all those coaches are doing exactly that they're collaborating and you're giving them that opportunity to do that uh, I've been using it in my business and I've been using it to grow my book and and so um one of one of the things that I've, to grow my book can I I the, the book launched. Uh, that is, how to grow your business like We'd launched traditionally, and it did that la- a year ago. So in June uh, last year, and I had a publicist out there, and the publicist was shopping it to all the, all all of the the various media outlets. Um, but they're one of I don't know thousands. Could there be thousands of publicists out there? Maybe I probably, who are all hawking uh, their clients' stories, and, and a lot of them are books. And, um, and it's a very crowded channel. i mentioned crowded channels before. They're just—they don't really pay out very well. And and so, um, so okay, fine. They they it, it produced what it produced. I was—I've been on a lot of podcasts. I get on a lot of podcasts, but but there was no play with, let's say, CNBC or Inc. or or Forbes, any of the business uh, uh, media outlets. Uh, there was no play this on this book. There has been on on earlier books. And so, okay, fine as i said we'll we we tell us deal with what is and that's exactly what i did and so i though um i had i, I asked nicola corzin the the executive director of the NASDAQ entrepreneurial center um if she would write the forward to the book and she agreed i thought wow that's fantastic She that's she's a great source for for a forward for a, for a book like this. And so after the book came out, we were talking and I said, Nicola, you know, I, I mentioned in the book that I'm going to start a new award called the Total Weed Award to recognize, celebrate, weed like spread and growth among entrepreneurs and startups. So I'm just wondering, could we collaborate? Could the, could the NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center become the, the home of the award? She said, sure. I almost fell over. Like, wow, that's this, wow. That's fantastic. And so we've developed this further and further. We just, we just, um, Launched the awards in in May, um, so we 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 just granted the first awards, and um, what's really cool about this is that, you know, we're 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 going to be pulling in a, a media uh, partner for this. We don't know yet who's going to be that, but um, this is part of part of NASDAQ after all, and NASDAQ has partnerships with a lot of big media partners, so or media outlets. So that's not going to be hard getting through to them, and. We're gonna have. A, I mean, and the conversation will go something like this: We've got an interesting property for you that we'd like you to become involved with us on as as our as our media partner. Uh, okay, what is it? Well, it's called the Total Weed Award. Okay, that's cute. Where where does it come from? It comes from this book, How to Grow Your Business Like a Weed, huh? Do we know anything about this book? So, I guess the long and the short of it is one of the benefits I get from that is that now instead of my publicist one of thousands of publicists telling these these outlets about the book suddenly it's nasdaq telling them about it i think the i think that that the the reception is going to change drastically um but at the same time i'm giving them it's not just that i partnered with them and i got all the benefit i'm giving them <clears throat> pardon me a new a new vehicle to attract sponsorship so new new sponsorship and new fundraising opportunities um it's going to create buzz because the, the awards are about, uh, one of them, one of the awards is the most audacious, uh, actually the most ingenious uh, unfair advantage. Well, I mean, companies are out there creating all kinds of really interesting unfair advantages. But the fact is that without without knowledge of these stories, it doesn't really, we need we need to know about these stories. And the more we know about these stories, the more traction NASDAQ gets as a center of, well, I mean, as a, well, yeah, just as a, as a source of, of, um, of insight about how to grow your business. And and one of those elements is how to create unfair advantages in your business. And there are several other uh areas of weed strategy that we're focused on, but it gives them this new this new great source of buzz in in the yeah. in the marketplace. So a lot of different things that come out of it. But but I would never I would never even have dreamt of of teaming up with with NASDAQ with a part of Nasdaq before. But the weeds tell me go do it. And, and and it it works and um there are other other it takes other forms. you, you and I might are, are you and and your partner Daniel and I might be doing one together. and so um yeah, they're really, really interesting ways of of reaching out and making things happen in your business and, and in another five just maybe other things that you want to grow like a, a movement or I don't know something else but but it is sort I've mentioned earlier that it, I think it's the theory of everything about growing anything. And I mean by that that you can apply it to growing just about anything. Wow, that's awesome! That's
0: exciting that you were able to see that, capture it, write it down, create a structure around it, and now it's uh, helping so many other people. So, last question for you, Stu: um, What's the best piece of advice that, that you've ever given or
1: been given? You know i i have to I have to tell a quick story. If that's I, if that's okay, if we have time. Um so um growing up we used to sail out of out of uh, a little town called Westport in Massachusetts and it's south of Cape Cod beautiful place to go sailing there's all these islands out there but, including Nantucket and, and Martha's Vineyard but there's a whole string of islands uh, out there as well and it's just a beautiful place wonderful place to cruise so um so one day we were we, my parents and I we went to the and, and my brothers and sisters we we were going to the boat that weekend. And so we headed down to Westport. And when we got there, we discovered it was foggy. And oh well. So we still were getting ready. To, you know, the boat is out in the morning, so you've got, to, you've got to go out and get the boat. And then you've got to dock it. And my parents belonged to a yacht club. And everyone at the yacht club was saying, to my father, "Was saying, are you, they'd be asking, are you going out in this? Because it, it was quite foggy where we were. And he said, yeah, of course. And um they kept and more and more people kept coming up to him. Are you going down this? Yeah, of course. And so we got ready, got everything loaded on the boat, took off into the in that great white wall of of fog, and um, and it was quite thick until we reached the end of the breakwater. When all of a sudden the fog disappeared, and we looked back and realized the only place that fog existed was over over the harbor of Westport. And we thought well okay that's great we've got this beautiful sunny day up we've been sailing around with a couple of islands and had a blast and came back and the fog was still there over over the port and um and we realized that that everyone else the, like the furthest they got was to the to the sandbar just 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 before the breakwater and they hadn't realized that they were sitting in the fog the whole time and so I you know I took a lot of advice out of that that out of that object that object lesson and that was incredible never take no for an answer if you know if just because it's conventional wisdom question it and 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 test it out for yourself and if somebody says something is is impossible that's our opportunity really it's our it's our invitation to go do it so it's all those things flowed out of that one day mm, that's awesome well Stu thank you
0: so much for being here today. I know we're kind of running out of time. And if there's people that are listening that want to connect with you, want to follow you, want to buy your books, what's the best way for them to get in touch with
1: you? Well, to, to get in touch with me, I'd uh, love to have you come to my site, um, because if you sign up on my list, then I'll, I'll send you the first two issues. I'm sorry, the first two chapters of how to grow your business like a weed. Um, and also, I'm working on a new, a, a new report, a new white paper about how to create unfair advantages in your business. So if you sign up, you'll get that for free. Otherwise, connect with me on LinkedIn. Just mention that you heard heard me uh, or saw me speak with with Gary on the YOS uh, podcast, and I'm happy to connect that way as well. You better spell your last name for everybody. Sure. Um, so so my name is S-T-U, Stu, and the last name Heineck, H-E-I-N-E-C-K-E. And you can look me up on Amazon. You asked where to get the book, too. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, everywhere. So you can also find me that way. Awesome. Stu, thank you so much for being
0: here, and I look forward to staying connected and seeing how we can help each other out. Thank you so much for having
1: me. What What a pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: I really hope you enjoyed today's episode and that through today's guest,